Hey, if you guys don't know, Chris is on Spotify and Apple Music. And even if you play, uh, say, hey, Alexa, play Christopher Daniel, his music will come up. We found that out the other day. He's kind of a big deal. But you can pray and start us off. All right. Uh, definitely, Father, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I pray for this lesson, that everything goes well. I pray for TC, all um, that everything he says is really able to connect to all of us and that we can really like dive in and look at our own hearts um, as he talks about uh, guilt and shame. Uh, I know this is something a lot of people struggle with um, and it's something that's very heavy um, and can really change people's lives. So I just pray that we're all able to take something away and that we can really um, allow this to grow closer to you. In your great son's name I pray, amen. So, um, as, we, as we begin, um, is Shields in here? Uh, so we, we have a, I've had a friend for the last almost 20 years. His name's Justin Shields. He actually lives in Oklahoma. He's in the military, and he loves to come on trips. He likes, we like to get the time together, but he likes to come and cook for us. Um, and drive and serve and it's just awesome to have him around. I was hoping he'd be in here, but um, When Shields, he's also a captain in the army um, When Shields goes on vacation He does this hashtag like on all of his pictures pictures and he'd be on this on the So he just went on a cruise and so he would take his pictures and he'd be on this on the cruise And he'd be having fun be on the beach on the water and he'd be all like hashtag Shields be tripping and I got to let you all know you all be tripping, right? Because you're here in Florida, you're on this trip. Now, who doesn't love a good vacation, a good trip? Does anyone just like, ah, I don't want to go on good vacations? Not a single person, right? I've been on some pretty good trips over the years. On my honeymoon, uh, I had never been like, like out on the ocean. My wife had never flown. We, uh, we saved up money. I worked like 50, 60 hours a week the summer before we got married. We got a cruise. We went on this cruise. And if you've ever been on a cruise, it's like all you can eat food. Like prime rib night, I love prime rib. Hey, just keep them coming. Just keep them coming. I probably gained 20 pounds. Uh, I gained my marriage weight on my honeymoon. All right. Uh, for those of you Florida people, uh, our campus ministry, we've been on um, to the Sunshine State Retreat like several times. Love it. That's like probably, is that where we met or maybe? No, it was early on. Yeah, it was pretty early on, right? Um, we've been on some pretty amazing trips. A few years ago, my family and I, we went up to Ohio, which... I don't really like the state of Ohio, but they've got this little corner with uh, Cedar Point, which has like the most roller coasters like in the country. It's like the roller coaster capital of the United States. I mean, they've got this top speed dragster that goes like from zero to like a hundred something miles an hour and like, like that. It's crazy. So I've been on some pretty awesome and amazing trips, but I've also been on some, some bad trips. Um, whenever I was young, dumb and broke and pride, prideful, um, Marie and I's first vacation. We borrowed some money, so we went camping. This is like the summer after we got married. We, we had to borrow a tent. We had to borrow everything we had. We borrowed everything we had, and in my prideful state, I'm making these hamburgers for lunch, and Marie's like, you better wash your hands really good. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'll be fine. I've never had food poisoning in my life. And the burgers were, were pretty good for, you know, camp burgers, first year, borrowed everything. About two in the morning, my stomach started going, right? And it was everything I could to like unzip the tent enough to like project so I didn't throw up in the tent. 
It's a bad trip. I spent like the next three hours just projectile vomiting like out of the tent. Um, here's a trip no, none of you don't want to go on. A Death Valley, a three-day hiking trip in Death Valley. Anyone want to go there? Absolutely not. It's like 100 degrees. Cardinals fans, where are you at? Right? Who here wants to go to the uh, uh, Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame? Who wants to make that trip? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not one to do that. For you Florida fans, you're not one to go to Tuscaloosa, right? Um, the worst of them all is the guilt trip. No one wants to go on a guilt trip. It's the worst. We've all taken that one, and we all know that it's a dead end. It really goes nowhere. And one of the like, crazy things, one of the things that drives me nuts, and I think this is like a product of how I grew up, was when someone like, tries to put you like on the guilt trip. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes the guilt trip is your conscience saying, hey, you done messed up. Can we like, be clear on that? Like sometimes that guilt that you feel is God saying, hey, you need to get right. But well, that's not quite what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about that manipulative guilt trip. It drives me crazy. But you know what drives me more crazy than someone else putting me on a guilt trip? Is when I put myself on a guilt trip. Because I can't control that other person, but God gives me the ability to choose what I believe in and what I buy into. And here's the thing about guilt that you need to know, is guilt leads to fear. And fear and guilt are dream killers. I hopped up on a chair last night after, after Robert's lesson, after we sang and all that stuff, and I talked to my group about having God-sized dreams and having dreams that are so big that you excuse me, that you can't accomplish it on your own, that you have to have God involved. And if we allow these dream killers to seep into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives and we buy into it and we believe it, it will kill those God-sized dreams. And that's not what I want. I don't want us to be those uh, people like that wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, totally killed all those people off and didn't let anyone else in until I'm sorry. Uh, do you guys hear that? Hey, Emmett, turn that down. It's my son. Love you, kid. Right? Um, God didn't let anyone into the promised land that bought into that fear. Do you understand? And we don't want to be those people in 40 years that look back and be like, what did I do with my life? I had all 70, 80 years old, young 20-something-year-old. And here I am, 60, 70, 80 years old. I look back and just regret after regret after regret because we let these dream killers knock us down and kill us and kill our dreams. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And if you see that word punishment, I want you to take note of that. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you've got your Bible app, circle or highlight it. With punishment, the Phillips translation says it like this. Fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilt. Like a bully, my older sister, when we were torture of feeling guilt. If you've ever been tortured or had like a bully, my older sister, when we were kids, she was six, seven years older than me. She would pin me down to the ground and I was like a runt, like a runt runt until I was like a freshman in high school and I grew like eight inches. Uh, I was like a runt and she would sit on my chest and on my stomach and she'd put her knees here and she'd laugh and she'd take grass and she'd be shoving it in my mouth and she'd just be laughing at me and that was just like torture, right? And that's what the Bible says that 
guilt and that feeling that you feel is like a torture. And maybe we don't make this connection, but there are many fears that are caused by guilt. Because when you carry around this thing that you shouldn't, right, you have this fear that I'll be found out. This fear that I'll be rejected by others. This fear that someone will retaliate for the things that I've done. You read that feeling where you're looking over your shoulder? We don't want those kinds of fear, and that is associated with guilt. The fear that God is going to judge me because I'm carrying around this sin or this mistake or this thing that I've done that I feel like I can't shake. It's been said that people that are afraid lose their ability to dream. Like, completely. Like, when they go to bed, they go to bed, they get their sleep, but they don't have dreams. And that's alarming. I have like super vivid dreams, like dreams like so much where I'm like, I'll wake up out of my bed swinging a baseball bat, like those kind of dreams. Like I'm like that vivid dreamer and I'm sleeping, but in life, I'm also a dreamer. I don't want God to be able to use you. I want God to be able to use me, my kids and everyone to accomplish some amazing things. So if we're going to dream on, we must embrace the godly way to shed our guilt, to shed our shame and look at three things. What we usually do with our guilt, what we should do with our guilt, and what God wants to do with our guilt. Now here's where we are, right? I feel like we've been kind of in this place where we haven't really been dreaming. We've had this guilt, we've had this fear all kind of mixed in, right? Some of that was COVID. If you go outside, you're gonna kill someone, which in some cases that stuff actually happened. Do I think that stuff has maybe blown up a little bit more than my personal opinion? Fearful, it kept us happy. But what COVID did more than any of that stuff is kept us inside. It kept us a little fearful. It kept us having a little bit of guilt. And it started to kill dreams. And we started to become comfortable as people that were away from people, not dreaming and not out working the harvest fields for Jesus Christ. We have our own fears, those fears of being found out, those fears of being rejected, the fears that that people won't like me or, or they'll judge me for the things that I've done. And we've been comfortable not having God-sized dreams. And if you get anything from this weekend, I want you to leave here a dream. Ever you want to use me. Look ahead and look up to God and say, God, however you want to use me, whatever you want to do in my life, just work through me, work in me, work on my heart, make me that man and send me out for whatever you need me to do. Maybe it's meeting someone the first day you go back to class. Maybe it's someone here, out, and you invite them to come in. We've had people, we've been out um, getting dinner or whatever, bringing them in and teaching them about God. Whatever it is, I want you to leave here with God-sized dreams. So the three things, the first one, what we usually do with our guilt. What we usually do with our guilt. Now there's three common things that we do with our guilt. The first thing we do is we bury it. You bury it deep inside and you never let it out, or at least that's what you think, right? There's only one problem, it doesn't work. You ever seen those zombie movies? You kill someone, you bury them in, and you think everything is fine. And then that scene where it's just like the camera on the ground, and then you slowly start to see the dirt moving, and then boom, hand up out, and then they start crawling up out of the ground and then if you've got the world war z zombies those are the real fast ones the ones that are like making human bridges and stuff like that and then you got like the the ones that do like this that was like i don't know how those ones ever catch anyone but they do that's kind of what our guilt does sometimes it attacks you like a wave world war z style and sometimes it slowly creeps up on you 
you get a little bit of comfortable. And at the most inconvenient time, like those movies where it's like, like the two love interests or the two main people are about to kiss and then all of a sudden like, these zombies haven't been around the last five years. So now all of a sudden they're about to kiss and realize their love for each other and here the zombies are. And that's how it goes with our guilt. It sneaks up at us at the most inconvenient times. And we all have a favorite way of burying our guilt. The first thing we do, we can minimize it. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it happened just, it happened so long ago, right? But 10, 20 years later, the littlest thing pops up and it reminds you of that thing and then boom, sledgehammer, right? We rationalize it. Well, everyone does it. That doesn't necessarily make it right. You can always her worse off than you, right? Uh, ben, who's our preacher at our church, the one he likes to use is, well, I'm not Hitler. Well, no, there's like only one Hitler, right? But we have this thing where we rationalize, we'll compare, and we'll kind of like work our way to say, hey, this isn't a big deal. Like, there's other people that have done this. I'm a, I'm a Boy Scout compared to that person. So we rationalize it. And then the third thing that we do is we compromise. We lower our standards um, for what, like, the way that we should live. Uh, Tony Evans, um, a well-known preacher out of Texas, he tells this story about his son. And his son was playing basketball, and he was working at it, and um, the first time he dunks. He dunks, and he comes in, and he's like, Dad, 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 hey, I dunked, I dunked, I dunked. And the dad like, runs out, and, and he does it, and he dunks, and he goes, oh, son, that's great. But that's an eight-foot rim. And the son was tired of missing the 10-foot rim, so he lowered his standard to an eight-foot rim. And so many times that what we could do, God has the ultimate standard for our lives, for your life. God sets the standard. And for thousands of years, God is undefeated. He hasn't been wrong. And what men do is we lower the standard because we are not convicted enough. We're not faithful enough. We're not obedient enough. And you can fill in the enough to raise up to God's standard. And the thing you need to know about God's standard is, is he doesn't set a standard that you can't live up to. He doesn't make it impossible, although it can be very, very difficult. And we cannot compromise. In Proverbs 20, your sins will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins because they're gonna catch up to you. In today's society, even more so than maybe any other time in history, those things that you thought were dead and buried or that you've compromised or that you've rationalized with social media and the exposure that people get, like nothing's ever gone and that guilt is ever present in our lives. So we need to learn the ways to take care of it, not to minimize it, not to rationalize it, not to make excuses and compromise to make it okay, but we need to find ways to deal with it. So in Psalm 32, three through five, David says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So I highlighted some words up here, right? Uh, go back to that first slide. It says, my bones wasted away it says, my, uh, your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped in the heat of the summer. Do any of these things seem desirable? Your bones wasting away? That seems just miserable. Like, I've never, like, uh, that I know of, broken a bone. 
Uh, I've seen someone break a couple bones, right? It doesn't seem great. It's painful. The recovery process is not great. There's rehab. It, it, it limits your life. I wrestle, though. I've had some heavy hands on me. And I tell my wrestlers all the time, if you're going to touch the person, make them feel you. When I hit them, boom, I'm moving with my hands. I'm pushing them. I want them to feel my weight. And I can tell you that first period, that person might be strong. But after me doing that for four or five minutes with someone, they get pretty weak. Right? This, my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. And if you've ever been so exhausted and you've been carrying this weight for a long time or you've had something pressing up against you, are you able to function? Are you able to dream? Are you able? So why not the life that God would have for you? You can. It's really, really hard. So why not take care of our guilt? We don't want to feel that stuff. So we bury it in, right? But also, we tend to blame other people. This one is old as creation. Clear back to the Garden of Eden. Adam took, you know, took what he did. And not only did he blame his wife, but pay attention here in Genesis 3.12. Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me some, and I ate it. So we got a times like the wife, but he not only throws his wife under the bus, he throws God under the bus. It's the woman you gave me. And I'm kind of so much more patience than I would, because I'm like, what did you just say to me? Like, I gave you this woman. You weren't complaining when you saw her naked. You weren't complaining when you were frolicking around, making all these babies. You weren't complaining then. But now it's the woman you gave me. And her. It's like, be a man, right? But we do this. We, we, we've been doing it ever since, the, since that moment. Have you ever... For our guilt. It's the woman you gave me. If you've ever uh, listened to Rick Warren, this is a, I took a Rick Warren lesson and kind of adapted some stuff. Um, he has a really great way of explaining things sometimes, but he can also be super corny, which the older I get, the more I appreciate it. I guess it's like the dad jokes. But he says, yeah, here's how you spell blame. Be lame. Right? And it's true. It's super lame to blame other people. And I say this, one of the biggest weaknesses I think of, of people, but I'm, gonna, I'm talking to men, so I'm going to say men, one of the biggest weaknesses of men that I see in today's society, and not just like my generation, I'm talking about all men of all generations, one of the biggest weaknesses I see is the inability or the unwillingness to take responsibility for your stuff. We want to blame, we want to make excuses, um, we, we all do it, you do it, I do it, every one of us, we're pros at accusing and excusing away the things that we do. In our, in our church, we have uh, these Manasseh classes. They're healing classes. Uh, a lot of churches do a midweek, and that's awesome. At our church, we, we do things a little bit differently. Not one's more right than the other, but this is the way that we found works for us. Uh, during the middle of the week, we do classes. We do them, one called Healing is a Choice. And it's just people dealing with hurts and habits and hangups and things that have beaten them down. We have um, Wounded Heart for Adult Survivors of Sexual Abuse. We've got uh, grief share, uh, dealing with loss. We've got my man's class, anger management, right? Dealing with things that maybe you were hurt from, but you've got some, some rage. And there are some legit reasons to feel the way that you feel and to take those classes. 
But what happens is a lot of times we have these things that happen, and it happened to me. My dad was a drunk. My dad beat my mom. He would tear up our houses. We moved a bunch. Like I had some reasons, and then this like crazy divorce. I had some reasons to be upset. But what I did was I took all those bad things that happened around me and to me, and I made them excuses for me to act like a punk. And I wasn't taking responsibility for myself. So when I say, hey, I do it, I know you guys do it, we all do it, we take these things and we make excuses and we wanna blame everyone else but ourselves for the reason that we do things. Started with Adam and it's come all the way through to us. And why do we do it? We use it to kind of balance it out. Well, if I can give them as much blame as me, it's all balanced and it's, it's less wrong. That's not how it works. In Proverbs 19.3, people's own foolishness ruin their lives, but in their minds, they blame the Lord. They say to God, hey, why are you doing this? It's, it's, it's not God's fault. It's the choices that we make. And that's what we're talking about. The things that we do and the guilt that we feel in our lives, the shame that we feel. So we bury it, we blame. And then the third thing is, is we beat ourselves. And this doesn't work either. When we beat ourselves, we basically try to make, take it out on ourselves. We self-administer the punishment. Subconsciously we say, or maybe even out loud, we say, you did wrong. You deserve to pay for it. And our body decides to take over and prove that we're going to pay for it. We can beat ourselves up mentally. Just that constant bad talk in our heads. Why would you do that? You're a terrible person. You don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve the love and the acceptance of God's people. You don't deserve good things to happen to you. And you beat yourself down, and you beat yourself down, and you beat yourself down. And you do it for so long that that becomes the only thing that you can think of. That becomes the only thing that you can focus on. And that's who you feel like you've become. Some of y'all do it physically. Where you hurt yourselves. You cut on yourselves. You punch yourselves. There's people that have been in, in my, so there for the years that do that because of the guilt that they feel. They can't forgive themselves, so therefore God can't forgive them, and you beat yourself up. You do it emotionally. All that stuff is draining, and it's hard to function in life when you've been sapped, when you feel like there's heavy hands on you. Right? You do it spiritually, where you just beat yourself down. You're not worthy of the love that God has for you. And we can do all of those things, one of those things, a combination, we can, they can come in waves and things like that. Let me ask you this, can a guilty conscience make you sick? 50% of the people, yeah, it can make you sick. Uh, I read a study recently that said over 50% of the people in, these, in, in two different hospitals said they could be released if they somehow learn to get rid of their guilt, that their illnesses were guilt-related. That's a lot of people. Can a guilty conscience make you depressed? Absolutely. Like I said, that constant, just beating you down, it's depression can be a way of atonement. I've done this, so if I feel bad, it kind of balances it out. I've done wrong, so now I feel bad. Can the guilty conscience cause you to set, your up, set yourself up for failure? Yeah, self-sabotage either through just being beat down or just putting yourselves in position, I don't deserve to succeed. I don't deserve the blessings of God. I don't deserve fill in the blank. Guilt has a, an amazing way of causing us to take payment out on ourselves. In Psalm 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me, 
like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long, I go about mourning. And here's the problem with like, times where I need to tell myself, you don't know when to stop. There are times where I need to tell myself, man, you really messed up. And I gotta give it to God and I gotta move on. But when you choose to focus on that and you choose to let it rule in your life and rule in your heart, we don't know when to stop. And you keep beating yourself down. You keep beating yourself down until you feel so low that you can't do anything. Some of you have been beating yourselves down for 10 to 15 years or more over something that happened a long, long time ago. You've got a secret shame that you've set in your heart and you've hid it away. And if I don't say it out loud, I don't admit it, I don't face it, then I don't ever have to deal with it. But it's time to let that stuff out. Anytime something bad happens to you, you can be like, well, here's God. God's just getting even with me. So enough is enough. We bury it, we blame, we beat ourselves down, but there's a better way. What should we do with our guilt? What should we do with our guilt? The Bible is very clear about this, very specific. It tells us to get off the guilt trip. There's no reason you should leave this weekend here with a guilty conscience. No reason that if you take these steps that God says, hey, I can take it away. These steps are simple, but they're not always easy. They're simple, but they're not always easy. So number one, I admit it. Whatever that thing is, whatever, whenever I said you had that secret thing hidden in your heart, you admit it. You don't minimize it. You don't bury it. You don't ignore it. You don't blame. You don't beat yourself up. You don't deny it. You don't um, push it down. You simply own up to it. You admit it. That was wrong. That was sin. It was stupid. It was done. And I willfully chose to do the wrong thing because it was what I wanted to do at the time. There are times where, like, man, I wish I could say, man, I was marching towards God. Everything was right. I, I, man, I wish I could say I was 100% that. And there are times where my sinful nature, like in Romans 7, when I want to do good, evil is right. A man who made And I look at it, and I could blame all these other things, but it was me, as a man, who made a choice to disobey God and his word. I can let that guilt of me disobeying God weigh me down and beat me up and I can beat myself up or I can admit it, I can own up to it and I can move on from it. Proverbs 20, 27 says this, the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. Like I said, that's a good thing. Son, that, that, that guilt can be a very good thing and alarm. 2 Corinthians 7 says, there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. One of those sorrows just says, hey, I feel bad that I blew it, but I'm gonna keep doing what I want. And then a godly sorrow says, you know what? It leads to repentance. And that repentance is shown up in your deeds. And it brings about alarm, indignation, readiness to see justice done. It says, in every way you've proven yourselves to be, to be innocent in this. God gave us a mind and a conscience, and we can't hide from ourselves. But sometimes people, um, sometimes people try to get rid of their guilt by running from it. We run from it in a lot of different ways. Some people become workaholics. They work 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week or more. And if I'm just working, I don't ever have to deal with myself. Some people just try to stay busy. Some people make dumb choices. Some people try to numb the pain away through drugs and alcohol. They'll get in bed. They'll get on their phone all the time. They'll, for some of you, this trip might be a way of not facing yourself. If I can just come here and have a good time. Well, that's not what I pray God has for you. 
I pray that God brought you down here to crack open your heart and for you to get this stuff out and realize the life that God wants for you. And that life isn't always going to be sunshine and rainbows, but you're going to look back in 30, 40 years from now and be like, man, God did a number through my life. And it can all start this weekend. Like I said, some people try to escape. Social media pornography is like at all time. I am so glad I didn't have a smartphone when I was 13, 14 years old because I would have had no restrictions on it. And some of y'all find God when you're 20, and that's six, seven years of you being able to look and scroll at whatever you want, one of the most addicted things in the world. And then you get here, and it's just a lifelong struggle. And every time you slip, and every time you even want to slip, I told you he uses that guilt over all those years of you looking to say, ah, I told you. I told you you can't be a man of God. I told you you're just going to be that same old guy. And he uses that guilt to keep you down. And I, I can't stress enough, God has forgiven you of that stuff if you surrendered your life to him. In 1 John 1, 9, if we say we have not sinned, we're just deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And you may not come right out and say it, I don't ever sin. Not me. I follow and always say, I'm the man. I do it. God can look at me and always say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you say that, you're wrong. But no one ever says that. You ever heard anyone talk like for real like that? No. But here's what we do say, or the, what, what we do act, we do act like that sometimes. We turn our nose up at other people who are struggling, right? And we even don't admit our sins, so therefore we act like we don't have any sin. You sit around in your guy times, your discipleship time, or in the car on the way to Target, or in a round of disc golf, and you've got all these sins in your life that you could be talking to your God-given brothers about, and you act like nothing's going on in the background. So we may not say that, but that's how we live our lives. And God says, hey, I'm here. You can talk to me whenever you want. I put all these people around you, and you can talk to them whenever you want. But we keep our mouths shut because we feel guilty and we feel shame. And God says, hey, you got to let it out. And if you want to stop defeating yourself, you've got to stop deceiving yourself. Call it for what it is. Say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. Now, I'm not a big music guy. Like, I'm not the one. I love Christopher Daniel, right? My man over there on Spotify, on Apple Music, on all that stuff. I love music of people that I know. I love music that really connects. But usually, I have, the music I listen to is like, uh, like Juan or Carrie or Ashley or someone like recommending music to me. And I, we listen to these guys. I, I love, now, if you like hip hop, there's a group called Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, you can get them on Spotify. I love Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, their, their lyrics are deep. They're, they're uh, Christian based. It's great. And I'm going to play like the first minute and 40-ish of one of their songs. And then I'm going to kind of explain why I did that. So the reason I wanted to play that is we can rationalize when God says, hey, admit your wrongs, admit your faults, confess your sins. We want to rationalize not doing that. We hold on to these things. And the thing that when we're listening to this on the way down, authentic faith is not merely believing in God. It is believing God, taking God at his word. It does us no good to say, hey, God, I believe in you. And then whenever it has that hard thing of admitting your guilt or admitting that thing, hey, I looked at pornography, hey, I cussed, hey, I did X, Y, and Z, or whatever it is. My rage got the best of me. And then it says to come to confess it. 
James 2 says that faith and belief is doing and living out God's words. And so when it says, hey, admit your faults to one another, admit your sins to one another, because the longer you let Satan, the longer you rationalize, the longer you mind, and he beats you down, and you feel like you can't do it. So if you're serious about clearing your conscience, if you're serious about living a guilt-free life, I do have a homework assignment for you. I know it's winter break for a lot of y'all. Class starts Tuesday. So first, you get by yourself, and you get a pencil and a pad of paper. And then I want you to pray. I want you to say, God, I'm ready. I want you to ask God to bring to mind every conscious and unconscious thing that you've ever says this and write it down. Lamentations 3.40 says this, let us examine our ways and test them. Do a spiritual inventory of your life so you can clear your conscience. Write down all those things that you feel guilty about. Write them out. Why? Because it forces you to be specific. When you're talking to yourself in your head, you can even minimize and rationalize as you say it in your head. My wife and I had, um, we have three kids. They're amazing. We had two miscarriages before we had the, the three kids. And I remember the, like one of the hardest things about, other than actually losing, is whenever you would have to say it out loud. Because when you put it outside of your body, either through speaking it or writing it, it makes it super real. Like this actually happened. Because even in my head when I would say, man, we lost, we had this plan, we had the name Lily, we had this name and we had these dreams and you can kind of still kind of rationalize it. But when you say it out loud, when I would go to say it out loud, it was like a frog in my throat and would just catch me and the emotion would be right there. And so as you're writing these out, I want you to be super real. I want you to be super specific. Lamentation says, let us examine our ways. So we admit it, number two, Accept responsibility for it. Accept responsibility for it. This is more than just admitting it. Hey, I did this. But sometimes, when you do something wrong, there's consequences. There's a fallout from it. It does damage. The things we do have weight in this world. And you accept that responsibility. Again, you don't go to the blaming and say, well, hey, they were 90% at fault for that. You're not that person. You have nothing to do with their 90%, but the 10% that you did have something to do with, you take responsibility for it. You don't rationalize it, you don't minimize it, you don't compromise, you accept responsibility. One day King David was in his palace in Jerusalem. He looks out and he sees this woman and someone talked about it in one of their lessons earlier with Bathsheba. Her husband murdered thoughts. He brought her to the palace. He committed adultery. He had her husband murdered. He impregnated her. Would you feel guilty for that? If you're a man of God trying to live for God, yeah. But guess what? Even if you're not following God, if you don't feel guilty about that, there's probably a little something more you need to look at. But here's the thing. In Psalm 51.3, he says this, I recognize my faults. I am conscious of my sins. You realize that Bathsheba didn't have to come over. She had a little... David says, hey, David didn't say, well, she just hadn't have come over. That wouldn't have happened. David says, hey, I recognize my sins. I recognize my faults. And there was fallout. David's family was destroyed after that in so many ways. 
he took responsibility for his sins. What is the best way to accept responsibility and ensure that I'm expect, accepting responsibility for my guilt? Like I said earlier, there's God-given people around you. Jake can talk to. I know Carrie, I mean, I call Carrie all the time. I know Shields and I talk. Jake and I talk. I have got so many people around me that I can look to and I can talk to and people that know me well. If I meet you, if you're Florida or Tulsa or even Collinsville and Columbia or Winsville in a lot of ways, like you can call me whenever you want, but I don't see you day to day. I don't really know y'all. I could see you on Facebook, what you want me to see, but I don't really know y'all. What I'm talking about is I want you to talk to someone who knows you, that can call out the, the BS. That can say, hey, that no, I know you better than that. And I know sometimes, Carrie, I can like, try to like even, I, I don't know if I do it consciously all the time, but we have this like natural thing to want to defend ourselves, so we put this little like spin on things. And Kara's like, nah, bro. Like, no, that's not how that went down. I know you better than that. Find someone that knows you like that, that knows your patterns and everything. In James 5.16, it says, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. When you talk to other people, it allows people to speak God's truth in your life. It allows you to be able to pray together. It allows that I'm kind of getting those vibes for you. And it allows them to be able to look at your life and say, hey, you said you didn't want to do that. I'm, I'm kind of getting those vibes again. And it allows so much accountability. And it keeps you from following that cycle of guilt and following that cycle of shame. Because here's what happens when you feel that guilt. You either want to hold on and fight for control, which is an illusion, by the way. And then you like, continue the pattern of sin. Or it causes you to stall out and not do the things that God wants you to do. Thus creating more guilt and more shame. So why drag another person into it? Because the root of all of our problems can be relational. That's where fear comes from. We can be dishonest with each other. We wear masks. We play games. We play like we have it all together when we really don't. We act like we've never sinned. And we pretend like we're perfect when we're not. It prevents intimacy and it creates insecurity when you wear those masks and people don't know you. If they really knew me, they would reject me. Again, perpetuating the cycle of guilt and shame. The fact is, you're only as sick as your secrets. And God says that revealing those things is the beginning of healing. So, I admit it. I accept responsibility. Number three, I ask God to forgive it. I ask God to forgive it. In 1 John 1, verse 9, if we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. He forgives our sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. Here, play sports. We're thoroughly clean. Um, who's here play sports? Right? You ever been so sweaty you could smell yourself? Like, you know what I'm talking about. Can, you can smell yourself, right? Like, oh man, that's, that's when you know it's bad. Would you want to shower like all but one part of your body. So you walk around smelling that? No, we want to be thoroughly clean, washed every part. And God says, hey, when you admit that stuff, God is utterly reliable and you're thoroughly clean, completely forgiven. That guilt that you feel, you can let that go because God's forgiven you. And you need to know that. There are no more skeletons in your closet. There's no more fingers to point and blame other people because God has taken care of it. 
How do you ask for God, God for forgiveness? There's a right and a wrong way. The wrong way. You don't have to beg God, God, please, please, please be merciful. God, please forgive me. Be gracious. Come on, ah, come on, please just forgive me. You don't have to bargain with God. God, if you forgive me, I'll read my Bible every day. I'll up my tithes to 12% if you just forgive me. Right? He wants to forgive you. You don't have to bribe God. This is, God, this is what I'm going to do for me. I'll never sin again. You don't have to beg. You don't have to bargain. You don't have to bribe the right way. Romans 6 says, Hey, therefore, if you died to yourself in baptism, I've forgiven you because you come up a new person. And all that sin that you've done, everything that you've done in disobedience and in rebellion, I left that and buried it under the water. Because unlike those zombies, those sins don't come crawling out of that grave. God died for those. There's a right way and a wrong way. I don't know what you've done. I know for me, I drank, I was angry, uh, sexual sin like group sex, pornography, the Bible with care, drinking and driving, rage, selfishness. And I remember when I studied the Bible with Carrie and got, he was talking about the plans that God had for my life, I tried to disqualify myself with all the things that I'd ever done it, with all my guilt for the first time that I thought I had buried down and I thought I had numbed with all the alcohol, came to the surface and he said, Jesus died for all that. And it was the first time I really thought, man, I could do this thing with God. And here I am almost 18 years later, still doing it. And for some of you who don't know, this is a spring break town or it used to be, I don't know if it's still, is it still Florida people? Still a spring break town? Um, I saw uh, Little John and the uh, Ying Yang twins perform on the beach just right out here with like 10,000 people. Yeah, like Spinnakers. I don't even know if all these clubs are still here. I was here in 2004 partying like the MTV stuff. Like that's the kind of life I lived and God died for all that. So I don't know what you've done. I don't know the thing that's weighing you down. I don't know that skeleton in your closet. God died for that. Jesus is bigger than all that. The Bible says he died. He is bigger than for all, for all sin, for all mankind. He is greater than you. He is bigger than your sin. So four things that God wants to do with your guilt. This is God's part. We have our side, right? Here's the four things that God wants to do with your guilt, or God does with your guilt. God forgives instantly. Isaiah 55, 7. God is merciful and quick to forgive. When you surrender your life, you go under the water, Boom. Your sins are forgiven. It's not like you have to get up and improve yourself and live obediently and do all this stuff. And it's like, little by little, I'm going to take your sins away and then you're going to be good. No, boom. God forgives instantly. He does it quickly. Should a believer ever feel guilty about things? Yeah, we mess up. But you don't let that beat you down. That's that godly sorrow that I was talking about in 2 Corinthians. It should spur you to repentance. So God forgives instantly. Number two, God forgives me completely. In Colossians 2, 13 and 14, he has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over our heads. And it's completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. It said it's not like he forgives just so much or there's that unforgivable sin or things like that. It says God forgives you completely. He forgives you instantly. On the, the, the verse there, whenever it says he wiped it out, he wiped it out. Um, which was the one with the, the words? I think it was um, 
Columbia, right? The video last night, the little wipe on the screen that everyone went, ooh, like that. That's what God does. He takes that and he wipes rid of it. He's a super stain remover. Number three, God forgives me repeatedly. God forgives me repeatedly. Have any of you ever committed the same sin more than once? Yeah, guilty. Or I'm an angry elf. I've gotten a whole lot better at that over the years, but my anger, man, I still struggle with that to this day. Do you ever feel embarrassed coming back to God? God, I did it again. Yeah, we did. But God being forgiving, it's in his nature. He's a merciful God. And here's the thing that you need to know. There's a difference between rebellion and just outright rebelling against God and just doing whatever you want repeatedly over and over again. There's a difference in that and being human and being weak. If you're being rebellious, there's a whole different part of your heart that you need to deal with there. But there are times it's just in a moment, and I'm not using it to things, and know that God can continue to forgive me and he can continue to work on it. And over the years, I went from being angry every day to being angry a whole lot less and for a whole lot shorter of a time because God has worked on my heart. And uh, Rocky IV, one of my favorite lines, he says, if eyes can change, yous can change. Right? And if you haven't watched it, that's also your second homework. Go watch Rocky IV. He beats up on the Russian. It's amazing. You gotta, you gotta love it, right? So he forgives me instantly. He forgives me completely. God forgives me repeat. In Ephesians 1, number 4, God forgives me freely. God forgives me freely. In Ephesians 1, 7, for by the sacrificial death of Christ, we are set free, that it is our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. It's free. God's grace is free. Again, you're not earning your salvation. God's saying, hey, I already paid for that. You can take my grace. Forgive yourself. I don't want to have to like, come back, see you in uh, a year from now when I'll see some of you, or uh, maybe in two weeks from now when I see you. And, hey, how are you doing with the guilt? How are you doing with the shame? Oh, that's still beating me down. Or that thing where you, you sigh, and then you don't lie because your life kind of is fine, but you just say, hey, I'm fine. But deep down inside, there's still that guilt and shame. God's grace is right there for you. You're free to grow in Christ. It's not a perfection thing. It's a direction. And God wants you marching towards him because he wants you to have those God-sized dreams. And Mackie brought this verse up earlier in John 14, 12, when it says that Christ wants us to do even greater things than him. And that the things, things that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those are God-sized dreams. He wants you to go to the University of Florida or to Umsel or to WashU or to Lindenwood or to SCA, or to Mizzou, or SIUE, or wherever God sends you, whether it be the workforce, your families, their grocery store, the park playing disc golf, uh, flight academy school, whatever it is, God wants to send you there and do some amazing things. But if we let our guilt and our shame break down and destroy our ability to dream and to have faith in Him, we'll never realize the potential. And there are people walking around without Jesus right now that need you to surrender to him, to live for him, and to go out and to be his representative. And we can't let things like guilt and shame 
Rob us of that and rob those people of a life and eternity with him. God size. I want this to be a weekend where you let go of those dream busters and dream God sized dreams because God is primed. I know I feel like in my ministry for the last three months I've been saying it. God has primed us to do some amazing things and there's about to be some serious growth. I know talking with Adam the same way, I know talking with Carrie and Jake. God has primed us to do some amazing things, but we can't let these dream busters take that away. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for what you do in our lives. I want to thank you for giving us the ability to do and long to do immeasurably more than we could ever think about, that we could ever dream of on our own. God, I pray that in faith we dream, that you open the doors for the places you want us to go. You help us to be patient in the times where we need to be patient. And you help us to move in faith whenever you tell us to go, God. I don't want to be a ministry. I don't want to be a people that wanders around for 40 years wondering why we're wandering, God. I want to be those faithful group of people that goes into the places with giants and slays those giants and comes out victorious. I want to be those people that go out and share your word with whoever will listen. I want to be those people that help tell people about the grace and the love and the forgiveness and that ultimate guilt-removing, that shame-removing love that you have for us, God. I thank you for the hearts of the people in this room, for the speakers, God. I pray that you can just speak through them, that, that this can be about your words and the dreams that you have for everyone here, God. I thank you for everything that you do in our lives, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.